I feel, man, I tell you, God is moving all weekend long, and I just want to stop right now and just give him some glory and just say, thank you, God, for what you're doing in your house, in your people. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. God, I pray right now, Lord, in this message that you would just do something. You would just release your spirit on your people, God. I pray that you would open our hearts, God, that for what you have. Lord, I just believe that this is a moment for us, God. I believe you're about to do something fresh in your house, God. We ask you, Lord, we call upon you to do what only you can do. We thank you for your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being with us today. I want to also welcome all those who are watching online from not only local, but all over the world. Thank you for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars men and women now. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you. Always want to start with our mission statement. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. I'm very excited about today's message. It's a two-part series, a two-part message, actually, of a three-part series. Uh, God just really gave me a word that I want to give to you about winning your family back. We're talking about fighting for your family. David in the Bible had to literally go fight to get his family back. And so if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me tell you what's going on. David and his men, 1 Samuel 30, David and his men have been, have been really out conquering the world, man. They would go out and they would have these big, uh, con- they, they have these wars and they would win these big battles and bring back the spoils to their family to a town called Ziklag, which is where all their families lived. And they'd come home and, and they were really succeeding. But one day they were out fighting a battle. They came home. And can you imagine you're tired? You're worn out from this battle. You've got some spoils of war with you to bring home to your family. But as you're walking up that hill, you finally get to the point where you can see your house off in the distance. And they see the village where they live. And all they see is smoke coming from it. So they're thinking, what's going on? So I'm sure someone at the front yelled, hey, something's up. Our families have been attacked. They begin to run as fast as they can. And the closer they get, the worse it looks until they get right up on it and they see where there once was a neighborhood, it's just now, it's been burned to the ground. Can you imagine that? This is happening in California right now, by the way. You're trying to drive into a neighborhood that's just not even there. So you can imagine they they, they freak out, they they run up and their their home is burned to the ground and now they they can't find their family anywhere. They think maybe we're going to find them in the home burned up. Maybe we're going to find them shot, dead somewhere. I don't know what's going on. They don't find them anywhere. So can you imagine? They've just come from this great victory, and they come home, and their family is gone. All their stuff is burned down. First Samuel chapter 33, days later, when David and his men arrived home, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Can you imagine this? Now, David is not someone who doesn't know what war looks like. He is a warrior. All these guys are with him. They're warriors. They're used to battle. They know what it looks like. So he immediately picks up on something and says it. And you can imagine that this was a grief moment, but there's also a glimmer of hope. And that he realized, you know what I'm not finding right now? I'm not finding my dead wife. I'm not finding my kids slaughtered on the ground or hung in a tree. I'm not finding that, which means we don't know what's happened to them, but they're not dead. And so this is a glimmer of hope. And so I love that in the story that even in the middle of your darkest moment, if you look close enough, you will find a hint of God. I want to encourage you with this. Would you write that down? I don't know what's going on in your family, in your marriage, but look 
for the hint of God. Number one, would you write that down? God will give you a hint that he is not through with your marriage. He is not through with your kids. He is not through with your family. Maybe for you, you're on the outs with your spouse. And the other day, you drove their car for some reason. And when you got in, you turned the car on, and it was on a Christian radio station. You think, whoa, didn't know they were listening to that. It's a glimmer of hope. Maybe your kid has really just gone wayward and just blowing you off, and they're out the door, and they're, they're, they don't care about the things of God. So you think they, they seem to be through with you, but didn't you notice that they're still close friends with a kid from the youth group? That's a glimmer of hope. Maybe for you, you, you know, someone in your family is really cold to you and you're not getting along, but you're in church and you just noticed a moment ago they had their hand raised towards God. They're still warm to the things of God. That's God giving you a hint. I'm not through. You still have a shot. Someone needs to give God some glory that he is still at work in your situation. He's not done. He's not done. I want to encourage you to find the hint that it's not too late. He is not through with your family. He is not through in your situation. Years ago, we talked openly about this in church. Uh, last year, I believe it was, as our, as our family, we had them all on stage, and we were very open about this, so I had no problem kind of rehashing some of it. But years ago, I was really on the outs with my own boys, uh, Mason and Cole, and, and they're like thick as thieves, which is normally a good thing. <laughs> but at this moment, it, it didn't seem like it. They, they kind of teamed up against their dad. And we were just at odds with one another. And it got so intense at one point that I actually asked them to leave. And uh, I never thought that would come to, to our family. But I, 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 as a pastor, counseled many families who have dealt with this type of situation. It's one thing to talk about with someone else. It's another thing to live it. It was a dark moment, I'm not going to lie. Have you ever been winning in the world and at the same time losing at home? Because that's what I learned, that you can be successful, so it seems, on the outside. Ministry's going great, we're thriving, got campuses being built, God's doing great things, and while all that's going on, I'm falling apart in my own home. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's some men in here to know what it's like to be making the big bucks, doing well financially, taking new ground. But while all that's going on, they're barely hanging on in their own home. Maybe you're the home, homecoming, you know, home classroom mom, and, and you know, everyone thinks you're just this amazing mother. But at home, maybe you're an amazing mother because it's not going too well in the marriage. It's amazing how we could be winning in one area and losing in another. David could relate to that. I just want to encourage you, God is not through with you. Look what happens next. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Wow, that's a lot of tears. You ever been there? You ever cried yourself out of being able to cry anymore? You're like, I don't know how to be more hurt I don't know how to be more angry. I don't know how to, I mean, just, I'm just, I'm out of emotion. Sometimes you just have to admit that you're, you're angry or you're hurting and you just got to cry it out. There's a place for that. It says they cried until they could weep no more. It says David's two wives were among those captured. Now, before all the women in the room go, huh, what you say? Let me remind you that in the Old Testament, it records what happened. It doesn't say it was right. It just says that that's how it was. And in the New Testament, we know that, that the New Testament tells us that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Now, think about that for a second. In the Old Testament, there was many gods until Jesus comes along and says, no, there's only one way to heaven, it's through me. 
right? So we go from many gods to actually only one true God. And marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. So there's many wives. And then Jesus comes along and says, actually, this is how it's supposed to work. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to one wife. So it's a picture. So keep that in mind. It's a progressive revelation. It's actually supposed to just be, be one. But let's not get off on that. But I want to point this out. Number two, there is a time to be hurt and angry. There's a time to be hurt and angry. Look at Ecclesiastes 8. It says there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because a lot of people are dealing with resentment. You know, last week I said I was going to mention talking about resentment a little bit today. I want to talk about it right now if I can. Maybe you've been really done wrong by someone in your family, someone who has turned against you, betrayed you, maybe a best friend, maybe a spouse. Maybe you found out that there was deceit, they were lying to you. Maybe you have a kid that you thought was acting this way, but when they went off to school, they were like a different person and they were deceiving you. Maybe, maybe your, your spouse, maybe there's infidelity involved. Uh, maybe there was an emotional affair. I, I don't know, but I know that we live in a real world with real issues and things do happen. So maybe you're trying to process that and get through that. I want to talk about that for a second, about the resentment, because here's what I've learned as a pastor, pastor in the same church for 22 years now. I can tell you this. Marriages don't actually end because of infidelity. They end because of resentment not resolved. Now, I'm not trying to say that God doesn't give you an out. He does. That is the ultimate betrayal in a marriage. So he does. I'm not suggesting that you have to stay with this person if they, they cheat on you. The Bible gives you an out. The Bible does not encourage you to take the out, though. But a lot of couples that have overcome something like that, or maybe it's something a little less than that, but still very painful. I don't know what it is for you, but I will tell you this. We do end up hurting each other, whether we like it or not. I have not dealt with that in my marriage. I praise God that my wife has always stood by my side and I've stood by hers. But I will tell you this. It doesn't mean we haven't had hurts. But I want to talk about something real practical for a second. Men and women process anger at a different pace. Now, I'm speaking in generalities right now, so it could be reversed in your marriage, but I just want to tell you this. A lot of times we see in Scripture, David seemed to get over things quicker than, than most. In fact, there's a time in, in the Bible where David is praying, please, God, don't cost me the loss of my child. His child dies. It says he goes home, changes clothes, washes his face, and goes back to work. What? What? Like, I mean, that's a little fast, isn't it, David? But remember, God also said, David is a man after my own heart. So David did seek the Lord. He was not out of touch with God just because he processed his pain faster. It's easy for us to say to the person who is taking longer in their pain, oh, you must be just crazy. Why is it taking so long to get over this hurt? It's also easy for the person who's still hurt to look at the other person who seems to have gotten past it faster and say, you're so cold. Like, what's wrong with you? How will you, will you have emotion? Or what's the deal? But the truth is, is that we all process pain at a different pace. No one's going to have the exact pace. So you're going to have to learn to give grace to each other. And what takes one person a little less time may take another person a little longer. First of all, it's going to take the person who was offended a little longer than the person who did the defending. Does that make sense? Now, I want to I go here, and I'm not a professional counselor, and I highly recommend if you've been seriously wounded by someone you love to go talk to a counselor. Now, some people say, I, I'd love to do that, Pastor, but I, I can't afford it. <laughs> I 
I want to push back on that. I think your marriage and your life and your kids are worth top counselors. Like I would even make this argument. I can tell you what the price is, in case you're wondering, to go to a pro that's, that's one of the best in the country. I can just tell you, well, I don't have someone like that in my town. Well, who said you have to be in your town? You ever heard of Skype? You ever heard of Zoom? You ever, I mean, like we have technology now. There's FaceTime. You don't have to do that. You can, you can get in contact with someone who's the best of the best. They don't have to be anywhere near you. You can live in Vancouver. It doesn't matter. But the, the best of the best is two to $300 an hour. Two to 300 bucks, and you think, oh, it's so expensive. But if you do that for six weeks, if, if in six weeks the best of the best can help process your marriage, and some of you think, there's just no way, it's too complicated, there's no way you can get through it. Do you know that right now there's doctors right now? If you, were to, if you were to drive to MD Anderson Hospital right now in Houston, just right off the road from us, there are doctors that know how to literally replace your heart. Do you understand the complication of something like that? What we see is an absolute crazy, insane miracle. There's no way you could do it. That's just a regular Tuesday for someone. Which means there's also experts that as crazy as your situation may seem in your marriage, that's just a Tuesday for them. They do it every day. Does that make sense? Doesn't make it any less miraculous. It just means that there are people that know what they're doing. And if it's two or $300 an hour, let's just do a little math. And six weeks of intense counseling, so it's 1800 bucks. so it's going to cost you what the TV in front of your couch costs to save your marriage, to save your kid. Guys, we need to reprioritize what matters most and invest if we need to invest to get things turned around. Does that make sense? Let's put our money where our mouth is and if we care about our families, let's get the help we need. Well, it's so expensive. Oh, I promise you divorce is more costly. I promise you that. Oh, it's going to cost so much to get my kid turned around. I promise you the legal bills you're about to find will be much more costly. You may want to get them the help that they need now. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you to invest. Don't be afraid to do that. I want to say one more thing about resentment. At some point, the counselor is going to say to one of you, you need to at some point, give yourself to your spouse again. And right now, I just made some of you so angry you want to throw something at me. You're kidding me. You do not know the hurt, what's been done. There is just no way. I'm not suggesting that today. Please, you know, I'm not putting a date on it. I'm not that smart. You need to talk to someone who knows a lot more than I do. But whether that is six days from now, six weeks from now, six months or six years from now, it's not actually going to feel better the first time you give yourself to someone. In other words, getting over resentment, you have to process that, but there's still a choice that has to be made. What I'm trying to say in a nice way is time won't heal it. You still have to process your pain. You still have to work through it. You're still going to have to just say, okay, either I'm going to begin to trust this person again or not. I'm going to either give myself fully to them again or not. Because what really costs your family isn't the offense. It's the resentment you won't let go of. Now look, I'm not suggesting it's easy. And I know some of you are so spitting mad I'm even saying this. I'm okay with that. In fact, I hope you're so mad you call a counselor. <laughs> so then they can help you process that. Because the truth is, is that marriages don't end because of a great offense. They end because you 
you harbor the offense. Does that make sense? Families end, listen. Families break apart not because of the pain of what someone did, but because you focused on it and you locked in and you held on to it. So at some point, we have to reopen our hurt hearts to someone. Because the truth is, we are going to wound each other. I'm not making excuses for what was done to you at all. And if you were abused, please do not put this in that category. You need to go talk to a professional who can help you. And I'm not justifying anything that's been done to you. There is no justification what someone has done. But when you do not process pain right, it says very clear in the Bible, in your anger, do not sin. Right now, we can see the wrong process of pain all over to television, can't we? So this guy did this to this person, so now I'm going to go hurt that person. How, how, how does that make any sense at all? So you, you hurt this person, so I'm going to go to in a totally different town, to someone totally unrelated, I'm going to hurt them. Can, can you see how broken that is? And then what happens? And then this, we saw that. And so the people who were offended by what happened here, now we're going to go to this town and we're going to, this, this is never ending. At some point we have to recognize there's a better way. And it's going to have to be that we open our hearts to one another again. And we learn to trust each other. Does that make sense? Now I'm not suggesting I can solve the world's problems today and I'm not going to try. But what I am going to suggest to you is we do the same thing in our families because someone hurt us over here, we take that anger into another relationship. Yeah, you may have got wounded bad in the past, but it doesn't mean that all men are bad. It doesn't mean that all women can't be trusted. It doesn't mean that all kids are horrible. No, it doesn't mean that. So at some point, we still have to process that pain or that pain will process you. So we have to make a decision. We have to choose to say, God, help me to process this. And maybe you need to talk to someone to help do that. But unprocessed anger will leave you bitter and lonely. Let me say that again. Unprocessed anger will leave you bitter and lonely. God has a better way. It's a choice you have to make. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy and it's going to take time. But we have to reopen our hearts again and ask God to bring healing to us. And sometimes that healing is miraculously fast, and sometimes it's going to take time and a process and probably someone who knows what they're doing better than we do. And God can bring healing to you. There's a time for hurt and anger. There's a time to then take action. Look what happens next. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. <laughs> this is not good. David's like, wait, I trained these guys how to kill people, and now they're mad at me? This is not good. Like, they're all picking up stones. He's like, I know they're accurate. I taught them. Like, this is not good. You know, he's like, they, they could take me out anytime they want. And so David now has a real problem. These guys are mad at him. So like I mentioned earlier, so, so someone from another town comes in, takes their families, and you're mad at this guy. Well, it's, how is it his fault? He's a victim too, but this is what we're doing in our culture now, aren't we? This person does this, I'm going to be mad. You're going to blame this person, blame that person. I, you know who I think you should blame? I think we should blame the person who does it. Wouldn't that be a crazy idea? Let's actually have what's called personal responsibility and let the person who does it stand trial for their actions. I believe that's what the Bible says. Man, it got quiet in here. It's almost like I'm stepping on some toes or something. I don't know. But I really believe we need to learn to do what David did next because sometimes you're in a situation and you can't solve it. So what did David do? 
But David found strength in the Lord his God. Another translation says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Number three, we've got to learn to encourage ourselves. There's going to be times when no matter how loving your spouse is, they're not going to understand what you're facing. There's going to be times when no matter how much you love your family, they're not going to get what you're facing, what you're in your shoes, your situation. You're just not going to understand. Well, they just don't understand what it's like to be a mom, right? Because you're the only mom in the family. That's right. They're not going to get that. Well, they have no idea what it's like to be the father and have to figure out this and that, right? Because you're the dad. Well, they have no idea what it's like to be a kid today, right? Because they're not a kid today. You're a kid today. They're, they're adults today. So you're, you're right. No, we don't all completely understand each other. We just need to admit that openly. And don't be offended by the fact that someone doesn't understand walking in your shoes because the only one in your shoes is you. So you can't be offended if someone doesn't fully understand it. In fact, could it be that maybe God allowed David to not have his wives there, not have his kids there, to where he was all alone saying, I don't know what to do. They're all wanting to stone me. I, can, I see the look on their face. They're mad at me. I, God, I was trying to do your bidding and do your work, and I come home, and my family's gone, and now I feel totally alone. There's no one I can call. There's no one I can go to. There's no one that understands. I am totally alone. And when you finally get completely alone and realize there's no one that understands you, you finally realize that the whole time there was something Someone there. The whole time. God does not get you in a lonely spot without having a purpose. And his purpose is for you to realize you are never alone. He can be counted on when things don't make sense. Encourage yourself in the Lord. How do you do it? Two things. Real quick. Please write this down. Two things. The first thing you got to do is you got to remember how the Lord's brought victory in the past. Remember how God's brought victory in the past. And then you rehearse your past victories. So you remember your past victories. And you rehearse it. I think David said something like this to himself. Hold up. I'm David. I mean, I'm the guy who killed the giant. I'm the guy who took out Goliath. And so if I could do that, surely I can go hunt down these, these, these marauders, these raiders that... That, that, that took my family and just get my family back. Like I'm acting all scared of these regular old Joes that came and took my family when I've taken on a giant. So you got to remind yourself of what God has done in your past. This last week, I had the privilege of taking my daughter out of school. You may judge me for this, but that's okay as a parent. I took my daughter out of school and took her to Disney World. And we just went for three quick days. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I always like to say, never let school get in the way of your, daughter's ed- of your kid's education. And so... Uh, so I pulled him out. Anyway, so I took him for just a few days and, uh, because I only have two years left with her in high school before she goes off to college, and I'm going to use those two years to my advantage just to have time with her. So we had a great time, a lot, a lot of fun, had a blast. But Disney World's a fun place, but there was something else going on too, and that was that the, the first time I went to Disney World as an adult with my wife only, just the two of us went without the kids. Don't judge me. Anyways, we went... <laughs> We were there, and it was an amazing time. This is like almost, almost 20 years ago now, honey. I was thinking about it. I was like, I think it was 18, 19 years ago we went. It's 2001. It's the first time. And uh, we were there, and there was this attraction called Walt's Dream. It was like a walkthrough of his life. And if you're a, kind of an entrepreneurial type person, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never really started a business, but I've started a church, so I, I get the entrepreneurial spirit. So his whole life is very inspiring, what he, what he built from nothing. So I'm watching, I'm walking through this whole thing about his life, and at the end of it, there's a little video you watch for about 20 minutes, and at the end of the, the little movie about his life, he says something. He says, I want everyone to remember that it was all started by a mouse. That's like a famous <laughs> quote. And so he was an animator. He, was a, he just drew cartoons. As a kid, he was just always doodling and drawing cartoons. Well, 
right before he started the Disney company, um, he actually had started another company, and it was, it was stolen legally from him. He lost everything. One of his partners just took the whole company from him legally, and he lost everything. It was after that that he was on a trip in total desperation. He was exhausted. He was frustrated. He was hurt that he was on a trip with his wife, and, and they just needed to get away for a few days, and he grabbed a napkin. He was just doodling on a napkin on a train ride, and he drew a little mouse, and he said, oh, look at that. And she looked, and he said, oh, what are you going to call this little mouse? What are you going to call him? She, he said, uh, how about Mortimer? And she said, no, I like, I like Mickey. You should call him Mickey. That's how Mickey Mouse is created. Isn't it funny how oftentimes our greatest ideas and our greatest moves happen right after our darkest losses? Isn't that amazing how that works? So he drew up the mouse, and from there came cartoons, and from cartoons came full-length movies, and from full-length movies came the studio, and from full-length movie studio came theme parks, from that came buying ABC, ESPN, the whole thing. I mean, it's just insane what it's turned into. But about 19 years ago, I'm sitting there watching this film. Church is only a couple years old, three years old at the time, running 1,000 people. We thought that would take us 10 years to reach 1,000 people. That was my goal. We reached it in three years. I was shocked. God was moving. It was great, but I was exhausted. And I'm sitting there, and he says on the movie screen, he says, I want everyone to remember this all started by a mouse. And right then, the Holy Spirit quickened me. And just God spoke to me in that moment. He said, if a man can do all this with a mouse, what can you do with the Holy Spirit? I don't have time to go into the whole story, but just suffice it to say, from that came a season of prayer where I committed to praying 100 hours to the Lord and asking God to show me the vision he had for our church from that moment on. In that 100 hours of prayer, God put it on my heart to build the building I preach from today, the broadcast campus. Out of this campus came the size and capacity for us to plant 102 churches around the world in the last 18 years. It's amazing what God can do if you give him time to work on you. To his glory. To his glory. I say all that to say, and I'm nervous to be telling this because I know you're going to hold me accountable to it, but I already know the Lord has put on my heart again to pray another hundred hours about the next season that God has for our church. And so please pray for me as I enter this season of prayer. I don't know what God's going to tell me is next, but I'm, 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 I went to God, I'm like, Lord, COVID is crazy. Our world has gone mad. I don't know what to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I just told God, God, I got about 20 years left before no one was going to want to listen to an old preacher. So, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's, what's chapter two going to look like for Church Unlimited? What you did in chapter one is amazing, downright miraculous. What's chapter two going to look like, God? What do you want me to do? And I promised God that I would give my whole life to this church, to his church. And so I'm going to die being the pastor of Church Unlimited. I'm sorry to tell you that. I'm not going anywhere. So I feel very committed to here. And I'll tell you this. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, <laughs> so frustrating. I thought we were going to get someone cool, but no one. I'll tell you this. I'm seeking the Lord. I don't know what he's going to tell me, but I want you to pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for your pastor, that God would show me what he has next, because I believe it's going to be big. And here's what I've learned about the last 22 years, is that don't try to figure your life out on your own because that's not including the God miracles he's going to drop in the middle of your equation. It's going to change everything. He's got you. He's got you.
Encourage yourself in the Lord. How do you do it? You remember your past victories. You rehearse your past victories. God has something big for you next. So what does he do? Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes. And then he said three words, and this is the key to today. Here's the three words that God told me to tell you. Go after them. Go after your wife. Go after your husband. Go after your kid. Go after your family. Don't you dare quit. God is saying, you'll catch him. You'll turn around. I'm not done. I'm still God of your family. Go after them. He can turn it around. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Number four, seek the Lord for a plan. God, what's the plan? And God says, go after them. And so God began to give him a plan. Next week, we're going to unpack that plan. Do not miss next week. It's all about the actual plan that God will give you on how you can restore your marriage, how you can restore your kids, you can restore your family. But suffice it to say that, that my kids, my boys, were out of the house for six weeks. It just means a lot to, to say that now because right now my son Mason is in our San Antonio Stone Oak campus uh, serving and leading in church today. And my son Cole is right here in the front row. He's the blonde model sitting next to the other blonde model. So that's, uh, yeah. And so I will tell you this, it's neat to see your kids serving the Lord and my daughter. And it's just neat to see how God has brought it all together. And it's not perfect. I don't want to suggest it's just so miraculous and everything's perfect. I'm not saying that, not at all. But God brought them home about six weeks later and God began to restore us. And then over that time, the first miracle was him coming back in the house. There's been lots of miracles along the way where God has restored and brought our relationship to a whole other level. And I'm so thankful for my family. And I say all that to say this. Maybe right now you're where I was a couple of years ago and you're on the outs and you don't know what to do. And I just want to encourage you to tell you God's not done writing the story. He's not finished. A couple months ago, I was talking to Mason. And I said to him, I said, Mason, um, I said, I'm just curious. Do, do you regret anything you did during that time? when you weren't walking with God. And I kind of thought he'd say, yeah, I do, Dad, I regret that. But he didn't say that. He said, no, Dad, I don't regret any of it. And I said, really? He said, I don't. He said, I don't regret it, Dad, because it's my God story. He said, my God story doesn't look like your God story. It's not supposed to. So how God got a hold of me is different than how God got a hold of you. And the reason I say this is because you may be in a dark space right now, but you are in the middle of your God story. God is not through. God has plans for you. When I think of the word plans, my mind immediately goes to one of my favorite verses. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know the scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. But you know what? What I didn't catch was the verse right before that. But I believe it's very appropriate to know where that verse comes from. God was talking through a prophet to the family of God, the Israelites, and they were broken. And this is what he said to them. He said in verse 10, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. He's not done. He's not done. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Every head bowed and eye closed. I just want to encourage you. God is not through in your story. And what's the point today? Go after them. 
I don't know what that looks like for you. The way I pursue my wife is different than the way you should pursue yours. Because going after my wife involves meeting her needs in the season of life she's in. And it's different for you. The way I pursued and went after my boys is different than the way you should pursue yours. But however you do it, go after them. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, at some point there was a meeting in heaven when God saw Adam and Eve sin and it brought a curse on the world. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit must have got together. And they said, what are we going to do? Because Adam and Eve have brought sin into their family and it's going to break them apart. And, you know, they knew the future. So they knew it was going to happen with their kids and it's just going to get worse. And how can we solve this? And at some point in the discussion, Jesus must have just said, I got the answer. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to go after you. Jesus went after you. He died on the cross for you. If you've never received him, you can pray a simple prayer. We're going to pray it out loud to lead you in this prayer. You can pray this prayer because Christ has gone after you to pay the price for your sins, to restore you to the family of God. You can receive him by praying this prayer. Pray this with me now. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin and I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and be my savior. I repent of my sins and I thank you that you went after me. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.